Hello and welcome to a Thursday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. In a moment, we're going to be joined by Christian Jack, TSN soccer analyst. But before we do that, just wanted to give a shout out to our patrons. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you go to pledge, get different rewards, and if you're not a patron right now, you're missing out on so much content. We're doing bonus shows for every La Liga slash uh, Copa slash Champions League post-game show for every one of those games midweek. We're also doing a loan tracker. So every Tuesday, we cover all of Real Madrid's players on loan in depth, in detail. And uh, it's been a very, very eventful season for players like Odegaard, Atraf, Kovacic, and so forth. So you don't want to miss out on that. Again, patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge, support the show, get different awards, but also access to bonus content. Specific shout out to these $10 plus patrons because one of the rewards if you pledge $10 or more is you get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 plus patrons. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DiStefane, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Oluwapamimo Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Tyler Dixon, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujaiwani, Penya Maridiska, San Francisco Bay Area, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Basancic, Sway Ayala, Rafael Servia, Magnus Lext, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Daniel Smith, and Brendan Powers. Thank you so much for your support. Love you all. And without further ado, this is the Managing Widget Podcast with myself, Kian Sabani, and Christian Jack. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. We're recording this on a Thursday, a day after El Clasico, and just toe deep into a brutal schedule for Real Madrid upcoming. And what better way to talk about it all than to welcome TSN soccer analyst and host of the KJ and Caldwell, a football podcast, the great Christian Jack. Christian, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be on, Kian. Big fan of your work and uh, been looking to try and get on with you for a while. So it's, I'm looking forward to for the next 45 minutes or so to have a good chat about the great game we love. Well, I've been looking for excuses to get you on. Um, my my uh, my uh, excuse initially was going to be, okay, I'm just waiting for Real Madrid to kind of draw like an EPL team to see like <laughs> if that would fit. Unfortunately, like we have to wait for like 10 years for an EPL team to progress far in the Champions League. <laughs> Although we did have, famously, we had the Liverpool final. Um, but that was just a blur. There was just so much going on in the lead up That's to that. Right. And I was like, you know what? There's... I, there's never going to be the perfect time, but I just got to ask KJ to come, come on the show. So thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Um, what what is it like? Do you does it ever slow down for you? Because you had the World Cup over the summer, and then like a, a a tight window, I guess, before the season starts to maybe have some downtime. Um, yeah, no, there's really very little downtime, Kian. To be honest, <laughs> obviously we have Major League Soccer as well, which takes up a lot of our summer. Um, we are the, obviously the rights holders for that on TSN and then 
you know, the European season, as you know, just get, carries on throughout that as well. So um, World Cup took up a lot of our time in the summer as well, where we had over 200 hours of television on CTV and TSM bringing every match. Um, it was just a thrill to do every game. It was a it was a marathon, but it was a great one to be a part of. So, no, it rarely slows down. I think the, the times when I, it does slow down and when I'm not on screen or on TV, I'm generally spent where I am right now anyway, just preparing for shows and, and watching a ton of film and video as well on certain teams all around the world. So um, that's just the palm parcel of the job. And, and look, we all love it, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, the, like I, There's nothing greater than a summer where there's a World Cup or Euro, but like the, the odd two years squeezed in that we don't have those, I kind of appreciate just like not having that because <laughs> like, I was telling my wife like all season, yeah, like the summer's coming up, you know, there's no more weekend games and stuff. And then like the World Cup started, I'm like, oh, uh, I got this for like a month straight now. Sorry. So just yeah. bear with me. Yes. Like there was like so many Real Madrid players to cover in the tournament. and um, But it's it's so much fun. So like you, you cover the game to me, like in terms of just like elite analysis, there's like a handful and you're one of them. So um and one thing I will say, like, I do miss this season is, like, if you're in Canada like us, and a lot of the listeners actually are from Canada who listen to this show, not having T- TSN get the rights to the Champions League kind of sucks this year. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. What, um, when you kind of heard about the, the losing the rights and stuff, what was your reaction? And, like, just kind of did it, I, I mean, I'm sure it bummed you out a little bit. Well, without question, a lot more than that. You know, this is, um, you know, a a, a frank way of explaining to you and the listeners that you have have a two-part process with all of this. Um, And one of them is is from from an individual point of view. And and, and I guess collectively at TSN, we're we're all really disappointed that we're not going to be able to continue to work on the tournament. Um, And, 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 I guess you look back at the three years that we did it and with, with great pride, really, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that will be online that were, were happy to where it's gone because they can get access to a lot of other games, but we weren't, weren't just targeting those people. You know, I always say with our analysis, we try and go to the very highest level uh, and other people will catch up rather than just targeting the, the casual fan. And I, and I take great pride in what we've created at TSM with that. But the one thing I would say about, what we liked, what we brought about our Champions League coverage was that it was unprecedented in this country because we brought 45-minute pre-games. So most of the games that kicked off at 2.45, we, you know, we didn't want to do what other networks have done and just come on at 2.30 and just be, you know, throw away easy analysis and throw in a couple of commercials there and then get you the games. We really wanted to educate and inform right. and entertain. And I think those three boxes are very important for all of us if we're working in this industry, educate entertain and inform and i thought that we did that as a network so that was genuine disappointment that we couldn't continue to do that it was great pride for me that people of all ages people who would get home from work or people who would get home from school uh would have would say to me i love coming home and watching you guys on the tv in the afternoon and and that was really something that's special about this side of the world is that those games were on during the afternoon some absolutely magnificent games at the highest level of the competition champions league finals champions league semi-finals um, when you know a lot of North American sports are on at night, when a lot of children can't see it, and my my son's eight and he can't watch you know NBA finals or Stanley Cup finals at nighttime because yeah. it's too late. So, um, and the second point, and, and I don't want to make it too long of a winded answer, but the second point was 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 really disappointment for the country 
because I just felt that it was a way that that, that, that this wave of this sport um, it continues to grow. And I've been in this country close to two decades now. I love everything about Canada. I'm so thankful to be Canadian as well. And, and I've seen the game just grow incredibly. And I like to think that those of us who cover the game, yourself included, we play a small part in that. And I just was dis- disappointed that that wouldn't be able to, that isn't able to continue um, without question at the highest level because the UEFA Champions League is the greatest club competition in the game. Well, it's such a... <clears throat> It seems like such a volatile thing now, like if you're, because like I was speaking to someone who works for Sky Sports about this and he was saying, you know, like we have, we have no idea, like with like, with companies like Amazon now who like if once they start like basically taking over rights because they have an infinite amount of money, it's like we don't know like what, what our coverage will be like. So like, I think like also like people have started to just create their own things because like, one thing I enjoyed about your halftime shows for the Champions League was like I would always tune in and just see what did I miss, and I would be like, "What is Christian? What did Christian see that I didn't see?" And I would take notes of that, and like that was like super helpful, and um, and so like, but you have a podcast now, which is new, and um, I only listen to. Well, do you have more than one episode now? Uh, yeah, I think we're in four now. We're okay, four. so I I listened to. Uh, I don't know if it was, I think it was the first one. I could be wrong, but it was the one where you started off talking about Giovinco um, and uh, and kind of his move and the logistics of it and why TFC did it. Um, can you can you please tell us more about the podcast um, that that you and you and Stephen Caldwell do? Yeah, certainly. Thanks for the opportunity. It's called um, uh, KJ and Caldwell Football Podcast. Um, it, you can follow it on Twitter at AffootballPod and obviously download it and subscribe in all the areas that you need to subscribe it. The website is AffootballPodcast.com. Uh, we're on iTunes, um, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, but Spotify. Um, but yeah, basically, it's um, it was it was something that Steve and I have wanted to do for a while. The great thing about podcasts and, and yours is, is a great example of this is that you can really get into into depth on things. And I think listeners in Canada, which is our target audience, but also, you know a lot of people from across the shores have also been listening, which is great. Um, once and something about our television coverage that we still we, we really enjoy is the fact that we have the time to bring it to the to, to the country but you're still only um, time sensitive so you're only doing 30 minute pre-game sometimes post-game shows are, are condensed with other programming sometimes we'll do a Premier League show we have to be off eight minutes after the final whistle things like that so mm-hmm. we always felt that there was an opportunity to get in depth in, in conversations and that's what we want to do we not want to touch on every game but basically we start and we, we target three games per weekend across all leagues um, depending on what we're watching and we get into real in-depth stuff on those three matches that we watched that weekend that sometimes lead to bigger questions we had a big discussion about Everton this week and where the front where that organization is going with the fans and the identity of that club under Marco Silva um, and we talked about uh, Busquets actually on the last one in terms of how vi- valuable he is and how much did they really miss him, particularly in the game against Valencia on the weekend um, prior to that. So there's lots of different areas that we want to discuss. And that's one of the reasons why we created it. And also as an opportunity, uh, much like yourself, where you can listen to the fans and, and answer their questions, because sometimes television, I think, isn't, it doesn't do a great job of being interactive in that regard. So it it, it was an interesting kind of segue you you, when you hinted about Busquets and, and and the game against Valencia and how much Barcelona suffered <clears throat> in that game, <clears throat> I think like when you watched the Clasico yesterday, the 
it was almost like if you have had watched Barcelona regularly this season, you're not like entirely surprised. I think you're surprised that Real Madrid gave them problems in a sense that they had the 5-1 loss earlier and it was just complete disaster. Like everything like everything about like Real Madrid's season had hit rock bottom. Everything from like the, the, the narrative about losing Cristiano Ronaldo and Zidane and, and the tactics with Lopetegui and the lack of chance creation, like everything was like summed up into one game, the bad defense. Um, if you separate that and you kind of like become a competent football team again, you see like Barcelona have had problems, whether it's against Valencia or against Betis in La Liga um, to those points. So did you did you kind of see certain things like in Real Madrid's game that they kind of exploited Barcelona and, and what were they? Yeah, I did. I wasn't surprised actually. I felt that the I still think Barcelona are quite vulnerable. You know, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of this discussion always comes down to central midfield, and you know, Busquets is is incredibly valuable to that team. And, and none of your listeners will be surprised by me saying that. It's pretty obvious. But sure. I just I just think that when the balance of the team is off, and occasionally I feel like that it, it the Barcelona team's balance is off that I do think that, you know, particularly that Real Madrid weren't fearing them yesterday. And I just thought that they could go at them and, and target the width a little bit. You know, Barcelona uh, with with Malcolm and, and Semedo generated a lot of headlines for what they did going forward as an attacking unit down that wing. But you could make an example that that was really their weakness, particularly in the first 45 minutes, where a lot of their chances were, were created themselves as an attacking unit, but really that's where they they were vulnerable on the goal, and they were vulnerable again on the you know uh, late, later on in the half as well with another opportunity that there was that they had down there. I thought Benzema did a really good job of recognizing that, and and he looks really strong and fit to me, where he he, he has an opportunity now to drift out more so on that left hand side a little bit. And just in playing in, in, that, in that inside left position a little bit and create opportunities that you know the attacking unit use where you're basically asking the right-sided centre back to say, okay, where do I go? Do I follow him out there? And there was a number of times where PK, if you look in the game, <clears throat> had a couple of conversations with Semedo, and often sometimes his body language was quite poor with when Real Madrid had their attacking chances to say this is not good enough. You know, you've, if you're going to continue to go forward like this, you've got to recognize and be back quicker. And I'm not quite sure that his recognition is quick enough to understand that that transition. So, look, Barcelona are an elite team uh, playing in an elite league. And uh, they look like considerable favorites to win it. And I think there are a lot of people's picks to win the Champions League. But as we've seen on many occasions over the, this last era um, for three, four years, that it could go badly wrong for them in big games very quickly. Um, and I think that that is still the same with them. They can outscore people very quickly as they did in the second leg of the cup recently and just ex- you know, blow, up, blow teams out of the water. But they can also be, I think, very vulnerable with that defensive unit. And I think Real Madrid looked at that and thought we can have a go at them here and get a goal, and that's what they did. I, I mean, like I'm, I think everything you said is spot on. I'm interested in like how they cope against a bigger team in the Champions League. Um, doesn't necessarily. I mean, as a Real Madrid fan, I'm like I'm really, I really hope it's not Real Madrid again because I don't think anyone can, anybody just can sit through like another two games on top of the already like intense <laughs> Clasico schedule. It's, it's it's a lot in the heart. But like if I'm really curious to know how they would do against a Juve or a City or a Liverpool, Liverpool who are like such a press resistant team, um, and so good at pressing on their own. Like, 
I'm curious to know because like Barca looked really uncomfortable in that first half and like great players who are so so good building from the back, whether it's um Arthur who's just been fantastic this season. He has, yeah. Um or Busquets or like, you know, Alba coming out of the back. They made they made they they had like stretches where they controlled the game completely, but they also had really nervy moments with, with Real Madrid's press and I'm curious to know how that holds up in a big European game. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Likewise, because I think that there's a real desire from that club to get back to the Champions League final and win it again after three years straight of being knocked out in the quarterfinals, which is nowhere near the level that they should be thinking. Yeah. Um. I I think they're vulnerable with. I think they're vulnerable against pace. Uh. I really do. Now, people would say, okay, well, maybe Liverpool would be a bad opponent for them. I think what Liverpool's weaknesses is, is is generating attacks and creativity through central midfield. And I'm not quite sure that that would be the ideal matchup for them if they were to play a Real Madrid. Um, you know, I just think the way that they play now is a little bit different to the way that they played last year when they went to, into the final. Um, the other thing about Real Madrid still is that, <clears throat> sorry, sorry, Barcelona, talk about Barcelona. The other thing about Barcelona here is too, is that, they have obviously Messi and, and Suarez, who get who whose goals you know sometimes will just cloud away their deficiencies very quickly. Yeah. So they can score very quickly on you. But I still think that that pace. Um, you mentioned Juventus; they 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 could definitely expose them for that. There's there's just the the way that I look at it now though is that there's still teams in the UEFA Champions League that um, have reached the last sixteen that I think Barcelona and Real Madrid, quite quite frankly, wouldn't be too concerned about and i just think that that maybe is the fact that a lot of the teams the elite teams at the top haven't got it done in the champions league um i think of teams like manchester city and psg you can make a case of liverpool i guess but there's still <clears throat> that thought process for me that these teams in this in in la liga in barcelona real madrid they they shouldn't phase anybody when they get into the champions league knockout stages you mentioned psg really quickly at the end i i i'm doing a I'm doing a ranking of like the favorites of the Champions League this season for four four two. I have to submit it mm-hmm. tonight. And I was looking at my list and I realized how much it the list actually changed since like two weeks ago. Or maybe a month ago. And uh and one of the big teams that like just kind of decreased in, in terms of like their chances of winning for me was PSG. And I had no idea what to do with Manchester United at that point. Because if you ask any of us a month ago, PSG versus United, done deal. I don't think like we any of us had a doubt in our mind. Although there's always a chance, but now like where do you where do you see that tie? It kind of like it's more interesting than we thought it was, right? Because you know it seems like Solskjaer, like we have a, a larger sample size now to know that it's not just a kind of a fluke. Maybe there's like actually maybe he's underrated tactically. Maybe he is doing things right and maybe it is sustainable on the flip side Neymar's out what do you where do you see that tie going I know you don't like predictions I know this because you've said this before in the past but <laughs> at least it's more interesting I think than than we, than we thought it would be yeah absolutely fascinating I did a discussion on Sirius XM in the States this week about the Champions League and I said very much almost word for word what you said is that when the draw came out nobody would have given United a chance uh, but now look, all the factors that you mentioned, the, the thing that, that if you're a United fan that we, you would be very, very positive about is that tactically under Solskjaer, there's a solidity about them that is very, very interesting to watch when you really look at it and you think, OK, the way they play this team now 
they're very difficult to break down. And I think Solskjaer has looked at that and said, much of our weakness is our defensive unit and we need to protect them. So we're going to drop it a little bit deeper and we're going to play transition. And I like the way that he plays almost a false nine or as an attacking member of a midfield diamond a lot in these games with split strikers and Lukaku and Sanchez have done it, but mainly Rashford and Martial have done it. And that brings that aforementioned pace that we talked about. And that could terrify a team like PSG. Look, the other factor on about this is that there's an extreme complicated relationship in this UEFA Champions League with modern day PSG. It is a, it is a competition that when they, when they, when they're, billionaire owners bought them they thought they would have won by now mm. they've discovered that it is far harder to win a competition like that but it is also a competition that will will define that era of, of this psg team and you know this better than anybody this real madrid team over the last few years have had weaknesses but their era is defined by winning it is defined by getting it done in the big game even when many people didn't think they could do even when you get outplayed in a big game and find a way to win and PSG have yet to prove in big games to find a way how to win it, even when things are not going your way. They've, they've capitulated in the highest regard when they did it at the Camp Nou. The only thing I would say is that this year in the group stages, their difficult group helped them because they faced elimination and the embarrassment of getting knocked out in the knockout to, to not even get through to the knockout stage. And they came through and they outplayed Liverpool and they deserved it. Yeah. But now you get into this situation where you've got the Goliath club of Manchester United who do not have the talent anywhere near Man- uh, near a PSG. But suddenly, if you get knocked out by this quality of Manchester United, and even though Solskjaer's done a great job, that is an unmitigated disaster for a club like PSG who spent that amount of money, in that, in that amount of money with, yeah. or without, with or without Neymar. So I guess it's a long-winded answer to say PSG with or without Neymar, should be beating a club like Manchester United. But I'm with you. There's a lot of factors we've just gone through to make it out to be a very, very complicated process for them. Real Madrid fans have had one eye on Chelsea this season. Maybe two. One and a half. Because we we cover them quite a bit on this podcast because we cover cover all the players on loan. And obviously, we have Kovacic there. Um, And then, obviously, there's just so so many interesting things going on there with Hazard and his like unapologetic flirting with Real Madrid. Uh, I was going to ask you about Kovacic, but before that, I was I was going to ask you about Hazard too. Brilliant player. Um, do you, at some point, like if you're a Chelsea fan, do you just get tired of of hearing like every weekend, I want to play for Real Madrid. Oh, I made up my mind. Like we all know what that means. He doesn't have to even outright say it. But does that does it would that bother you if you're a Chelsea fan? Um, I think maybe a couple of years ago, Kian, it would have. I think Chelsea fans now, though, have got to the point where they they have watched the team slowly deteriorate when it comes to overall talent. And I think those who are very close to Chelsea, and I'm talking about intelligent fans who go to the game um, and, and, and watch them closely, I think that if they truly evaluate their club away from the blinkers of what's a true, the, the blinded by being a fan, they would say that Eden Hazard right now is too good for them. And there are nowhere near the level of players at Chelsea that Hazard requires to play with. And that is their problem. You know, that is their massive fundamental problem that they've got. Now, people would say that, okay, maybe the transfer policy is, is, is not as good. Not giving out multi-contracts to over 30s is one of the reasons why they lost a player like Fabregas and may lose others. Um, I, I mean, whatever it takes. But ultimately, you look at their recruitment over the last couple of seasons, and it's been very average. 
very average. So, you know, if you're a Chelsea fan, it's hard to get in the mind of one when you're not one. But that, that, that's what I would be thinking. Now, Gonzalo Higuain could be a big bonus for that, but it sounds like it's too late. They've messed Hazard around by the fact that they they couldn't find a true number nine and end up playing him in that position, which is not his best. And he did a decent enough job in it, but that's not what he is. Eden Hazard is an explosive attack-minded player who likes to drift in from the plank flanks, play quick one-twos with a target man when a defender can look at him, look at the, the number nine and, and he can get away from the, with space, can score goals with both feet, brilliant in the transition, magnificent in keeping the ball, arguably one of the greatest players in, in the game today. And if Chelsea are going to lose him, I, like I said, I think that's his fault and Real Madrid will be a far, far better team if, they, if they're able to get him away. Well, one thing we talk about often on this podcast, which you kind of touched on, but like every time we we do a podcast to cover what Kovacic did on the weekend with Chelsea. We're just kind of struck by the lack of ingenuity in the final third. And like, this is like, it's like everything Real Madrid fans complained about under Lopetegui. It's like pass, pass, pass. And then like what? And uh, it just seemed like Willian is kind of like this inconsistent player who like, by the way, if maybe if you, maybe in hindsight, you take that Barca offer. I forget how much they were offering for him, but it seemed Mm -hmm. like, it seemed like it made sense to cash in on him at that point of his career. But he, he has his moments, and but he's just kind of wildly unpredictable. And other than Hazard, I'm not sure where who who creates goals in the team, unless Pedro's in maybe sometimes, because Kovacic is not that incisive offensively. And um, But, so, oh, so here's the question I wanted to ask you specifically about this, is that Iguain seems to at least give them a reference point, which they didn't have, and you can you could, you see it in the last two games he's played, one in the cup and one in the league. Why didn't they just put Giroud in there from the like? Maybe he's not as good as Iguain, but doesn't he at least give you that reference point? Or is it just is it just a matter of sorry, just need, maybe too stubborn? Because we've heard like stories of, from Napoli and how he just doesn't want to change his ways. But wouldn't Giroud at least provided them with something? Well, yeah, I mean, it's one of those where it comes down to, you know, do you, do you, do you pick the better player or do you pick the, the, the player who's better for the team? And Giroud is clearly a player that lacks goals as well. Um, the one thing I would say is that you, and you mentioned Sarri at Napoli, and it's an interesting reference point, is that I think Sarri saw what he could develop at Napoli um, with that magnificent front three he had last year and thinks, okay, well, Pedro, Willian and Hazard could play like that. The one problem he had was that it, it took away the strengths of his of his best player, and so that's probably one of the reasons why he looked. He tried to go back to Drew at one point. He played him in a game a few weeks ago, and then he didn't, and then he went and then he rested him again. They did everything they could possibly do to try and get the best out of Alvaro Morata, a player that I was very high on and thought he could succeed, and was very disappointed in the end with what I felt was his poor attitude in the end uh, in, in matches trying to win free kicks more than actually um, win games. Um, but you know. I think ultimately the Giroud saga was one that was, yeah, you made other players better. But then you mentioned that the midfield, you, you play uh, the same back four every week. Alonso doesn't get forward enough as he used to. And in my opinion, is one of the most overrated players in world football. Um, you don't get goals from the midfield at all. Jorginho got the penalty in the first game of the season. Huddersfield hasn't scored since. Kante gets the occasional goal, but he's not a goal scorer. Kovacic doesn't score goals, which takes a lot. A lot, and, and then you put a number nine in the field, and Giroud doesn't get goals either. You're basically asking two players to score your goals for you. So they had to figure this out very quickly. And um, I feel for Kovacic a little bit because I think that 
if he was playing in a midfield with a tremendous goal scorer and, you've, and, and the obvious candidate because it's not that long ago is Lampard. I think people would be raving about him right now. But people talk about what he can't do instead of talking about what he can do. Uh, and I think he's a very elegant midfielder who's adapted very well to the pace and the ferocity, the ferocious play of the Premier League. And I, for one, hope that he stays there because I think he's a very, very good player. Yeah, I think like the whole Kovacic thing, it kind of like I die a little bit inside every time I hear someone say Barkley gets in every game off the bench or sporadically starts over Kovacic because he's better offensively. Because I'm like, mm. it just Kovacic is a phenomenal box to box player. But his, I mean, this his issue at Real Madrid also, and even at Inter, he just can't score. He can't, like, he's not like a Modric or Cruz who can arrive at the top of the box and get you, like, f- seven goals a season or whatever it is. And um, you can kind of s- see why Chelsea fans want, like, someone like Loftus-Cheek, to me, makes sense in that position because Ali- he seems to be able to create. Um, and they need they need creation, um, like, to be honest. So, like, I... I don't know. Do you? What do you think? How do you assess Kovacic's season? Because like we all thought, this is kind of ideal because he's not going to start for Real Madrid over Modric or Cruz. Um, he'll rotate in, but he wants to play regularly. And then he goes to the school of Saribal for one year, and he graduates, comes back a better player. This is like how we talked ourselves into this. Yeah. Um, is that what? Are we crazy? Did is or is he? Because I, I see I see situations in this year where like. He just kind of looks shy with the ball. He'll just pass it backwards to Jorginho. Maybe doesn't look carry the ball as much. Maybe doesn't hit those vertical passes as much. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not as great a stint as we thought it was. Yeah, the only thing I would say is that it's it's always difficult to send a player to Chelsea and hope that they're going to improve because the club is just a roller coaster of emotions consistently all the time. It is. It is it is stable of being unstable. In, in, in and, you know, the one thing I would say about that is that the, the, at least he's become a, a major part of that. Like, I think for the most part, you look at his, you know, you look at the games he plays. I think he started over, you know, 66% of the games, two out of three games he starts. Sparkly will come in occasionally. Um, so I think that he cannot not learn under Sarri. He was a tremendous football coach. And I think you'll be better for it. And look, he's still only 24. It's very difficult to think that if you're a player, if you've got a, a, an asset like Real Madrid have got with Kovacic, and remember when he first signed for Real Madrid, a lot of people were like, wow, he's not a Real Madrid player. And he wasn't a Real Madrid player when he went there. But who's to say that he couldn't be going forward? It is a position that you can, you need, obviously you've still got an incredible amount of midfielders and a lot of depth there. But it is. I think it would be very difficult for Real Madrid to part with a player of his quality and his class. And I use that word for a reason because I think he's a really classy player. Uh, and I think that, yeah, right now he was never going to really make a lot of difference with, with, with you guys. Maybe it's another year away from there after this. But look, I still think that he's, he's, he's a very, very good player at a very high level. And, and if I'm Real Madrid, I would be very hesitant to let that go. Is there a scenario where <clears throat> Hazard has made up his mind he wants to go to Real Madrid and Real Madrid don't want him? Well, I think that would be very unusual. Um, the, the one thing I would say about that is obviously it just comes down to finances, but the, the great thing about Real Madrid's position in, in this negotiations is that Hazard's contract running down, which means his contract, which means his transfer fee will be less. Yeah. Um, um, you know, the, the, the one thing I would say if, if you're Real Madrid is that and you've, you know, you've probably and you've written about this and you've spoken about this a lot. Is that 
they are going through a they are going through a a transitional time right now, which is very difficult to do when you're a Goliath in the game. But they are. It is a transitional season on the quiet where you're still trying to bring in younger players. Um, but I still think that those younger players need genuine world-class quality to bring them over the line. And we've seen that those world-class players on Real Madrid this year have been quite inconsistent. Um, you know, one of my favorites of all time, Modric is back to his best now, but it took him a while. And it's no, there's no question about that, about fatigue and uh, a lot of other factors in that. But you still need elite players to bring you through things. And, that, you know, Ramos and Varane are very important. Cross and obviously Modric, you know, you, you wonder about Bale's future. For me, you know, I, I think he's a potential sail on guy in the summer and move him on and, and then bring in Hazard and, and be a better, a far better squad for it. So I, I think they would be very, very smart to get a player of Eden Hazard's quality because I think that he makes players better around him. I still think he's actually quite underrated, actually. And I think that he would he, he could score more goals in a, in a better team with better players around him, which he absolutely would be when you look at Real Madrid's squad compared to Chelsea's. Yeah, I agree. I, like He's actually unbelievable. I don't know if fans realize that. Like we were The last game we were covering, we looked at the stats and he had like 12 key passes. We're like, what, what even is that stat? How, do you, how are you so good at creating in a team that just can't even create? And yeah. like if he had just some help. So I think like the case we made Christian last summer was like if Real Madrid signed him as a Ronaldo replacement, he would have been north of 200 million. And when you look at it and you looked at the team's need, which is you just need goals, does he address that? Maybe, maybe not. I think like he, he started to score early this season and kind of regressed to the mean maybe and, and just and wasn't like an elite goal scorer, but to elite player for sure. He's an upgrade over Isco and Asensio, but at that price, is that upgrade justified? But then you fast forward a, year, a summer later and he has his contract running up and you can probably move Bale because he's not living up to the bill as a as 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 we hoped he would be um and he's just cheaper now so it makes more sense now it seems than it did like a year ago um i want to also ask you this is a lot of premier league stuff but it's also connected to ramjord obviously um one manager who keeps resurfacing his name keeps resurfacing is pocatino as solari's replacement in the summer and one kind of criticism that a lot of fans have of him and he famously said like last week that trophies are not important i'm paraphrasing but like they're just finishing in the top four is more important and they're also going against a historically good liverpool and city side is the criticism of his lack of trophies a fair one do you think no i don't think it does i mean i don't think it's fair i think that we are living in an era where we're really getting two two thought processes clashing here now we get the old the old school thought process um and you get to see you get this in a lot of sports i'm a big baseball fan you old school versus new school in, in terms of how you, you you review things as well the old school process would be that you need to win trophies and i you know and i remember having this discussion not that long ago being in the industry about arsenal and felt that they really did need to win something at that time and i just think that that discussion was very different than this one and i'll tell you why i think that one, it's become even harder than ever to win trophies, particularly in the English league with the amount of money that's being spent by the by the, the Goliaths in the, in, in the English game. Mm. And 
And, and two, I would say that when you look at his squad in terms of overall talent, it isn't good enough to win trophies. Yet he continues to maximize and squeeze everything out of them. And look, they've got one they've got one of the best, if not the best, number nine in world football in Harry Kane. And that has helped them. But it's also a team that is is, I think, in badly need of investment. And they will not spend money. And they went a full year without spending money. And he managed that so well that they didn't need to spend the money in, in his in, in his in publicly in his mind to tell people we're fine. And look, I'm sure deep down he wants the money, and I'm sure deep down that will be the reason why he eventually leaves Tottenham because his aspirations and his ambitions, I think, will exceed Spurs in the end. But it is still a really young team, a team that I believe, when you look at it, are full of hunger, trust each other tactically, very harmonious on the field, have a real understanding every single time they play together. And when you look at the team, there isn't one player that I could be told that has got worse under him. Every single signing he's brought in, Hmm. every single one has got better. Every one of them. And when you're a club like Spurs, that's the reason why they're in a title race with with Tottenham, with with Liverpool and Manchester City. Look, they're not going to win it, but they're in the race right now. Because they have taken players for, you name it, doesn't matter what they are, £20 million, £35 million, Lucas Moura, £23 million, Davinson Sanchez, all these signings. And they've their value, the value added over their replacement, are so higher since they bought them in. It doesn't matter what play, what 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 they what they bought for them. You could go on throughout their entire squad. Eric Dyer, four million pounds. It doesn't matter who they are. Every player they signed is now worth more than what they bought, and that's down to him. Um, I I'm with you one hundred percent on all of that. I just I just think like it's so impressive, like what he's done with the resources he's had and the little spending that they did this summer. I don't even know if they did spend anything, but certainly wasn't much. Um. It, it's it's remarkable i think like i think there's like another universe where he doesn't even have them playing as well as they have been these past few years or like any, any other manager doesn't and and no one's even talking about should they be better it's just like they've he's brought the bar higher than i think that i think they've been punching above their weight they've looked really good so i'm with you all on that um there were a couple of things i wanted to ask you about real Madrid before i let you go again <clears throat> um you watched the Classico yesterday, obviously. Mm-hmm. One recurring theme is Marcelo's defending. And he took a lot of defensive gambles. Offensively, one of the greatest left backs of all time. Defensively, he's just it's just been years of this. Um, and it's like he is who he is at this age. And I'm sure you've seen Regulon play. Do you think Solari should go into those big games with the defensive safety net of Regulon, because and you and and I didn't really realize this until I watched the replay this morning again from a different angle on the goal Barcelona scored. The amount of time Marcelo had to track Malcolm and just chose not to was kind of bewildering mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, this is this is going to be a really interesting story to follow, and I like Regulon a lot. The the one problem that they have is that. Um, Marcelo is not at the age where his legs are gone. Um, and the, the the amount of games that they have trusted him to win in big moments and he's delivered is absolutely astonishing. Yeah. For, a, for a player that continues to be 
if you if you never watch Real Madrid consistently, you could go to the game and watch Real Madrid once per season and go, this guy is rubbish. You just never know what you're going to get from him. Arguably, my reference point goes back to the 2014 World Cup semi-final when it was one of the worst individual performances in the history of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. He was that bad in the first half, and, and Germany destroyed them. Um, but you, so you, you can't. It's a it's a lesson to all analysts, and it's a lesson to all fans that you have to look at the bulk of work and consistently when he needed to, he's delivered. Now, you know his limitations, and no no footballer is perfect. So it comes down to that. Do you trust him in big games? And I think that you can't not pick him at the moment. Now, Reguilón looks like a really good young player, and it's important that he's there. But this is, comes back to my point earlier, Kian, about the transition. It's important that a number of these players are there. It's important that Asensio's getting his chances, that Ceballos is getting his chances. Marcos Llorente, I thought, was good again. You know, the, these players need to be in those positions where they can be trusted. And... Look, does that mean that when he comes to the last 60 of the Champions League or comes to a second leg of a El Clasico semi-final, you know, cup semi-final, that they're going to get the chance? Probably not yet, but they need to be pushing these players to be better. And right now, I don't, I don't think you can make that example where you go, yes, Marcelo, you're just now a fringe player, but it's important that he, he knows he can't, he's not going to play every week. And, and understand that when he does play, yes, he will leave players like that and will give away goals occasionally, but he will also bring so much more to the team as well, mentally as well as technically. Well, that sums it up well. I think like the interesting thing is like this this Marcelo defensive thing is nothing new. And so it's not like it just fell in our lap for this game. Like we knew his limitations. But I I always kind of found it just crazy that no coach really figured out how to mask it properly. I mean, the answer under Zidane was just that he was just so otherworldly offensively that his if you go back and look at the production like of his of his like key passes, he's him and Cruz are like the in the are the two best in the team in the past like four or five years. They just right. create, create, create. Um, but there ne- there never was like a sense of like, okay, well who's covering for him defensively? It just kind of worked like through some kind of I don't know. I mean, even the Champions League run last year it was like it was just crazy that Real Madrid even got that far after being haven't like that they had two chances against Bayern in that first leg scored both of them went back to Madrid with the with the advantage and then got to the final beat Liverpool but like there was there was always like a sense of like there's some problems that are just being masked by individual offensive greatness I felt and Modric doing so much defensively that he was spread thin but he was Modric it seemed like he was just lifting weights all over the pitch and like plugging holes mm-hmm. and like the Marcelo thing I think like when you don't have proper coverage for him. I, I, I think, like, you play him because of, he's so good offensively, but at least, like, proper coverage. And I think that's just something that Real Madrid haven't really had. I think Marcos Llorente has done it well, like, in this his little stint here this season. As you put it, like, he's been good again. But I just, I always just found it kind of crazy that we never fa- figured out how to consistently cover for him instead of just benching yeah, maybe, him. And maybe the, maybe the answer is not there. Maybe that the, the, everybody who's tried to seek that answer is, is just you just have to understand his limitations and go out there and play it. You know, it's it's easy to isolate these guys as individuals, but when you put everything together on the team, and, and, and Reguilón will be a starter very soon, but what I'm saying to you right now is that there, there are other factors. So when Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane are lining up together in a big game, do they feel better that Marcelo is on the left-hand side? You know, do they feel better that that guy has been through everything with them and won four European Cups with them in the last five years because he's still there? 
And do they, do, does it make them feel better? They may like the fact that they know what's going on and they know that, that, that these issues are going to come and that's going to help them. But they know that he can also deliver in other ways. You talk about the key passes. Does Kareem Benzema prefer that when Marcelo gets the ball and opens up a pass with his left foot, he knows that that pass is going to come and it's going to hit his feet and he's going to hold the ball up and he can then create, feel the defender to his back and he can see Russia, Russia's on beyond him because Marcelo's paid that, played that key pass. So there's a lot of factors involved in the game. It's easy. And by the way, it's coming again. It's easy in a game coming up that, that Real Madrid lose to go, that was Marcelo's fault again. And he's a, he's a liability. Because that will be the case. But we also know that there's other factors in the games that you don't necessarily see them that create really strong, strong points for Real Madrid's game as well. Um, on that note, with, with Marcelo and, I mean, like, his kind of just what he's been through, the greatness, the psychological boost he gives your team. What do you think is going on with Isco? And uh, this is, I'll actually read a question verbatim from one of our patrons who I promised we'd get that, this question in. Um, he says, just a theory. Do you think Perez gave the green light for Solari to bench Isco this much? He's the second most, player, most bench player after Kaylor Navas. There's nothing that should justify this for a player of Isco's stature. Maybe Isco defied Perez when he sacked Lopetegui because the latter is Isco's biggest proponent. So Solari might be punishing Isco for this behavior and has Perez's blessing for that. So I'm skeptical of this controversy, but the, maybe just like to, to twist it a little bit. Do you, how do you, how do you make sense of this Solari Isco thing? Well, I love the question and I wouldn't rule it out um, because I think there is political things going on and as it always is with Real Madrid. You know, it, it, he is one of the most perplexing footballers that I've ever analyzed because I just think that, you know, when I watch him so often, he can be, a, you know, a genuinely top 10 player in the world. He's that good. Yeah. Uh, and then he can drift out of games and fundamentally lose the trust of a lot of managers. And that's the problem here is that he's lost the trust again of a manager, Solari, like he did with Zidane. And it was not last year's Champions League winning run. It was the year prior when I felt that he really stepped up in that second half. And you'll remember a lot more than I will. I cover a lot of other leagues, so sometimes it can be a bit confusing. But when they went on that run, and I think he scored at the Calderon during that run, he was, I thought, the best player during that time. And he carried them to Cardiff. And he was magnificent during that run. And you think, okay, it's clicked, he's here. He's, he, they're in the team now. He's found a way, he's found a role. And then it, it drifts away again. And then when he went with Spain under Lopetegui in the qualifiers, he again was magnificent. His brilliant performance against Italy when they thrashed them. You think, okay, here he is. He's arrived. And then he drifts away again. <clears throat> now, that could be a mental thing. That could be a, a factor with relationships. But it could also be a tactical thing. Here's the problem with him is that you can't trust him to play in a 4-3-3 when you play as a midfield three. Can you trust him defensively and tactically to cover those? He, you know, he isn't what somebody I would say is he, he hasn't developed that strength of his game without the ball that someone like Kevin De Bruyne has, trusted, has, has, has done. So De Bruyne is a player that you can almost make as, as a hockey comparison in North American world that we live in as a two-way player. So he's brilliant as a, as a, as a, as on the ball and he can, he's got pace, he's got strength. But he uses those same attributes when he's not got the ball. And I don't think I see that enough with Isco. He's almost a bit more of a luxury player. But So you think, okay, well, that's fine. That's who you are. But then when you put him in the, in, the, in, the, in the front three, now in a 4-3-3 world that so many people are playing now, or a 4-1, you know, you could call it whatever you want, 4-1, 4-1. If you're going to play in that wide area, so 
are you, who are you going to play him instead of? You don't offer the, the incredible pace, so sometimes you can be a little bit predictable. He doesn't necessarily have the dribbling skill of someone like Hazard where you can pin the opponent fullback and then get them closer to the byline and stretch the game and get to the byline and cross it in. So it, it's a problem tactically because him, Coutinho, Mesut Ozil, Hamas Rodriguez, these attack number, these number 10s in the modern-day game, they're all finding the same problem, and that is where am I going to play? Yeah. And so I think that's a concern. It's not like Real Madrid have gone, we're going to play with our holder, Casemiro, and we're going to play like Man City do with either David Silva, Bernardo Silva, or De Bruyne, and we're going to play fundamentally two number 10s ahead of with, with a front three. They've not done that. And until Isco finds someone who's willing to do that, you may not get to play every week. I think it's, as you put it, I think it's a mix of mix of politics, behind the scenes stuff, plus tactical reasons. Like I don't, I think it's, I don't think it's ultimately only down to something brewing behind the scenes. Because if you look at the way Solari wants to play, it's a very specific way of playing. So I think it's a, probably a mix of all of that, all of what you said. Um, Christian Jack, I, I totally, totally. It's awesome that you took the time out of your day to join this podcast. You're terrific at what you do. Please keep doing what you do. Um, we'll link everything in the show notes, the, the KJ podcast, a football podcast, um, but also Twitter handle and all that. And um, thank you so much for joining the show, Christian. Kian, it's an absolute pleasure. You do some fantastic work. Continue to fly the Canadian flag on the media over in Madrid. Uh, we're big followers of you. Keep up the great work. And uh, thank you for having me on. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks so much, Christian. 